W233AH Monticello. This is Radio Catskill. And just a reminder, our listening area is under multiple weather advisories this evening. A winter weather advisory remains in effect for Sullivan and Ulster counties until 8 tonight due to heavy, wet snow. Any remaining snow is expected to change to all rain tonight. Outside of our studios here at Liberty, New York right now, it has changed over to rain. We're getting reports of very slick conditions on roads as well. And with temperatures rising tonight and rain falling, there's a flood watch that's in effect until 1 tomorrow afternoon for our entire listening area. That includes Sullivan, Delaware, Wayne, and Pike counties. There's also a wind advisory until 4 a.m. Gusts of wind up to 50 miles per hour are possible. And with high winds, there's always a possibility of power outages as well. This is Radio Catskill. It's time for the local edition. Which comes to you live from Radio Catskill Studios in Liberty, New York. Yes, it's a local edition. I'm your host, Jason Dole. And thank you so much for being here with me tonight. Farmers who borrowed money from the federal government and who have also faced discrimination could get compensation from the U.S. Department of Agriculture. But the time is running out for them to apply. The deadline is just days away. Coming up, Tim Bruno speaks to the USDA representative who's informing farmers about the program at a session at the Ellenville Library this week. But first, it was a busy day in Albany. Because today was New York Governor Kathy Hochul's State of the State message. Now, in a moment, we'll have reactions from local lawmakers. Patricio Rabio spoke with a Senator, State Senator Peter Oberacker. And we also have a statement from the Orange County Executive Steve Newhouse. But what about the speech itself and the proposals within it? Governor Hochul spoke this afternoon in the Assembly Chambers and addressed the sense of unease that New Yorkers feel about the economy and crime. Among her proposals, a crackdown on retail theft and a scaled-down plan to build more affordable housing to ease the state's ongoing crisis. Karen DeWitt has more. Thank you and good afternoon. Quoting FDR and Taylor Swift, Hochul addressed lawmakers in the Assembly Chamber, where guests included former Governors David Patterson and George Pataki. While Hochul says the state of the state is strong, she acknowledged that many New Yorkers don't feel that way, as they worry about rising costs and shrinking paychecks. And I know in those moments, I can actually understand why some people feel the sun is setting on the Empire State, but I don't despair because I see light on the horizon. We are a state where resiliency runs in our veins. No mountain is too high for us to summit. The governor proposed efforts to fight crime, including a smash-and-grab enforcement unit within the state police to focus on retail shop theft. And Hochul's plan would make it harder to sell stolen goods online. These attacks are nothing more than a breakdown of the social order. I say no more. The chaos must end. 
She also proposes expanding the list of crimes that could be eligible as hate crimes in the wake of rising anti-Semitism and anti-Muslim bias linked to the ongoing violence in Israel and Gaza. Hochul also offered a series of more modest proposals aimed at improving the day-to-day lives of New Yorkers. Some were previously announced, like changing the methods of teaching reading to children, raising the weekly payments for workers who need temporary medical disability, and improving maternal and infant care. The governor relaunched a housing program that was scaled back from a 2023 wide-ranging proposal that Democrats, who lead both houses of the legislature, rejected. In her written comments accompanying the speech, Hochul took swipes at her Democratic colleagues, saying the legislature failed to act even to preserve New York's anemic existing growth of housing. She continued her criticism in her speech. Unfortunately, many made it clear they would not support it. Democratic Senate Deputy Majority Leader Mike Gianaris shot back, saying the governor's new plan has some big holes in it. All she proposed was a developer's dream, but left out protections for tenants in their existing homes. And so if we're not making sure that people get to stay in the homes they have, what exactly is the point of building more homes that people can then get evicted from very easily? Hochul left out of her speech one of the major issues facing New York, the influx of tens of thousands of asylum-seeking migrants. They've been bused here from Texas and Florida. Republican Senate Minority Leader Robert Ort believes politics influenced that omission. She's always said she's kind of a Biden Democrat, and she took the Biden approach, which is just to kind of ignore it um, and hope that it's not happening. Um, and that's one school of thought, but it is happening. He says the situation won't go away on its own. Ort says the governor's speech lacked large themes normally found in a state-of-the-state message. It was small ball, it was a little bit flat, uh, it wasn't kind of that big those big ideas that we're used to seeing. Uh, Maybe that was by design because it is 2024. And 2024 is a key election year where congressional races in some districts in the state could determine which party controls the House. Or it says with so much at stake, the governor seems to be trying to play it safe. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt. Thanks to Karen DeWitt and New York Public News Network for that report. Peter Obracker represents New York's 51st district, including much of the Radio Catskill listening area. Our own Patricio Rabio spoke to Senator Obracker earlier this afternoon for his reaction. As I came out of the state address, many topics were covered, of course. I believe there was over 200 points that the governor brought up that were going to be addressed. I call it maybe calling some balls and strikes. Some of the things that, that I was glad to hear us talk about, first and foremost, mental health. I'm a huge supporter of the mental health, especially when we're talking about school-aged children and the ability to offer mental health through our education. Thoroughfare, if you will. I was glad to hear about that. I think that that's an upstream approach and to deal with those issues that hopefully will have downstream result. And that was something that, that I was happy to hear about. I was happy to hear that at least the governor addressed public safety. We all know that that, too, is a continuing concern here in New York, and not only that, but in in the 51st Senate District. It fell a little bit short, I think, in substance as to really what we're going to do to address that, but at least I think acknowledging that there was an issue and that there is an issue is one of the first steps to working in a very bipartisan manner on that. So I I was glad to hear that. All right, some things I wasn't really too keen on. the governor had brought up about an outward mi- migration issue and that it was tied to housing. I don't think you could have been further 
from understanding the issues to say that is the main reason that people are leaving upstate New York and my district was because of housing, unfunded mandates, taxes. There is still a public safety issue that is, is there. So again, there are many stresses on the folks in my 50% district that I think are starting to get people to think about wanting to leave New York. And, and I use the overall feel of the speech. Did that do anything to curtail that? And I think it, I, there it felt a little bit short. And when the takeaway from that talk is the fact that they're, that we're hearing now in the halls as I was coming back from the uh, address, the big thing that everyone was talking about is the school, uh, the uh, pools. If New York was in a great shape and we had all those other issues and to talk about swimming, talk about improving reading, those are things that should be done anyway. Those are things that I would expect that wouldn't need to even be addressed or talked about in a state of the state address. Yeah, we got some work ahead of us being on the finance committee. I'm very interested awaiting very eagerly the budget address that will come out next week. So we got a lot of work to do. We still got a lot of work to do willing to find that common ground to work these things through. But I would also hope that our input, or more appropriately, my input, would be at least seriously taken under consideration. One of the things I noticed, Senator, that it wasn't so much talked about was the climate initiatives she has previously had mentioned. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, election year. In, in all honesty, I think it was a, a softball, if you will, or, or to stay away from that issue because it is an election year. And again, if you look at the ruralness of my district and, and the amount of people that use, uh, solid fuel, i.e. wood, and, and I'm, was one of them. I'm not anymore because my back is not able to support it anymore. But I think that was one of the issues that, that the governor knew enough to stay away from and to give a little bit of cover to her side of the aisle because of it being election year and for being a, a hot button, if you will, for, I think, for the coming election cycle. Senator, what is your outlook for 2024? I'm always optimistic. Always optimistic. I always tell people in the district to get excited about the possibility of what can go right as opposed to getting upset about the potential of what could go wrong. And I think that we really still need to be optimistic. And I am. I believe that uh, through respect and through to, through true bipartisan effort, we can move things in the positive direction. It's funny when, in certain cases, when I feel my input due to a political affiliation is not considered or it's not, it's not even accepted, if you will. So again, I'm optimistic. We got a lot of work to do. It's going to be a long session. And again, when we mix in, as I said previously, the election cycle to this, it will make for, as we say here in Albany, an interesting year. Senator, thank you so much for your time for talking to us, letting us know about your thoughts on the state of the state today. You're welcome. For Radio Catskill, I'm Patricio Rabayo. State Senator Peter Obracker speaking to Radio Catskill earlier today. We also received a statement from Steve Newhouse, who's not only the executive nearby Orange County, but he's the president of the New York State County Executives Association. Their response to Governor Kathy Hochul's State of the State address was positive and supportive as they applauded the governor's initiatives on fighting retail crime, expanding mental health services, social media protections for children, consumer protections, investing in artificial intelligence. Newhouse's statement continued, quote, counties look forward to 
the governor's executive budget proposal next week that will spell out her vision for addressing the budget deficit and the state's migrant crisis, end quote. And we look forward to that, too, because we'll be covering that for you right here on Radio Catskill. Up next on the local edition right now, the U.S. Department of Agriculture is reminding farmers, ranchers, and forest landowners that this Saturday, January 13th, that's the deadline to apply for the Discrimination Financial Assistance Program, or DFAP. This program is made possible by the Inflation Reduction Act, which provided $2.2 billion in funding. The USDA is holding informational sessions at the Ellenville Public Library on Thursday and Friday, and also at, on Saturday at the E.B. Crawford Public Library in Monticello. Tim Bruno spoke to Miles Kaggins, the chief of media relations at the Windsor Group, which was hired by the USDA to help run the Discrimination Financial Assistance Program. Section 22007 of the Inflation Reduction Act, signed into law by uh, President Biden last year, initiated the authorized the Discrimination Financial Assistance Program. Uh, the program kicked off on July 7th of 2023, and the application deadline is coming up uh, right in a hurry on January 13th. I want to go ahead and, and ask uh, all the listeners to pick up a pen, a pencil, and write down this website, www.22007apply.gov. Again, that's www.22007apply.gov. I'll come back to that website and our phone number later. This program uh, is for farmers, ranchers, and forest landowners who may have faced discrimination in USDA farm loan programs prior to 2021. Now, these could have been farm operating loans, micro loans, youth loans, soil and water loans, conservation loans. The, the farmers are, are generally aware of uh, about 10 different types of programs they may have applied for from USDA. And this program is based on the recognition that America hasn't always done right by its citizens. What are the wrongs that you're hoping to right, I guess? Yeah, well, there is a lot of discrimination that happened historically through USDA, and there have been major lawsuits uh, in cases that have, have been gone all the way up through the federal court system where farmers who are black, Hispanic, Native American, women farmers, and we have had uh, many instances of white-on-white -white discrimination and veterans who face discrimination and persons with, with disabilities. And the eligibility for this program is that it's pretty simple. In the application process, first, the farmer must identify and prove who they are. Second, they need to uh, show that they are a farmer or they, they were a would-be farmer and that they applied or attempted to apply for farm loan programs from USDA and that they faced discrimination. The applicants must describe the discrimination that they face and, most importantly, how that discrimination adversely impacted them financially. And there's no timeline or statute of limitations, uh, as it were. That's right. We've had farmers uh, applying from with information from as far back as the 70s that I'm aware of, who I've personally met uh, traveling around as spokesman for this program. Uh, there are farmers who are, who are more recently applied for programs in 2020. And the, the types of discrimination are wide-ranging. In some instances, for instance, I met a, a farmer who is in his 80s and he's from the Mississippi Delta region. Uh, 
And in the early 70s, in the USDA, or correction, in the, in the 60s, the USDA Farm Loan Assistance Office would only be open on one day a week for black farmers. Well, this gentleman went to his prescribed day to have his appointment to talk about farm loan programs, and a white farmer came in, and the white loan agent said, sorry to the black farmer, you'll just have to reschedule for the following week. Well, he went back the following week, and he was told by the farm uh, loan agent, sorry, the application period has closed. So that farmer missed out on a whole cycle of getting an operating loan to, to plant seed. Um, and the, the stories go on and on, and they're across the nation, and there have been several thousand applicants since the program began on July 7th. And as you've traveled around and, and heard some of these stories, what's been the reaction from some of the folks that have been uh, interacting with you? Well, the applicants, first, the first thing is they want to make sure that this program is legitimate, and they need to ha- understand uh, what the program is about, the source of the funding, and how the funds will be paid out. There are a variety of, of previous uh, lawsuits and settlements. There are farm grant programs. There are additional farm loan programs. And the, this program, the Discrimination Financial Assistance Program, DFAP, this program is a direct payment from the government to the applicant uh, based on the discrimination that they faced. Stated differently, this program is not a grant. It is not a loan. It is not a settlement. The payout from USDA that will happen sometime in the spring or early summer of next year will be in the form of a check, something like uh, when we receive our tax refund checks or some of us receive stimulus checks. That's the type of payment. There's no strings attached, and the farmers do not even need to be active um, on farm in farming anymore. And there are heirs sometimes who have inherited property and have the documentation from their ancestors who face discrimination in farm loan programs. And we've had applicants from New York State as well. If you go to the website, the 22007apply.gov, there's an extensive list of um, eligibility requirements, what's, what's also covered and how discrimination occurred. Can you talk a little bit about the loss factors and, and how discrimination occurred in terms of eligibility for folks? Yes, and, and eligibility is wide. We've had applicants of all different demographics applying for this program as, as discrimination and its evils uh, really does not discriminate on who's, who's a victim of it. And in New York State, Uh, We have a couple, Carlos Aguiera and his wife, Lorena Mendoza. They own a farm, the West Haven Farm, located near Ithaca. And they've applied for the Discrimination Financial Assistance Program. The two of them grew up in Central America, migrated to the United United States in 2012. And their farm, the West Haven Farm, they applied a couple of times for farm loan programs. And they don't know why they were not given the loans that they applied for. They qualified and in every way that they thought. But in order to try to rectify that, they have now applied for the Discrimination Financial Assistance Program. And there's up to $500,000 that applicants can receive. Now, it's important for the applicants to describe the financial impact. For instance, if a person had a small farm, maybe just producing a couple of thousand dollars of of, apples a year, as they did not get a loan and it affected them one season, they're not likely to be able to explain how they should get $500,000 in payment from the government. So there will be an evaluation made by a 
uh, what's what we call administrators, a contractor called the Midtown Group, with a formula developed with USDA, and that will determine the payout thresholds for the applicants who qualify. So the important thing is for the farmers to clearly list the financial impact. For instance, uh, there was a farmer in southwestern Georgia who I met, and in 1974 he was wanting to expand his hog pen from 12 hogs to 20 hogs. He was not given that loan, so he took a calculation of of what a hog was selling for in 1974, and there's a uh, way that that, uh, agriculture producers have to determine how many more hogs there would have been over the following years, and that was his documentation and uh, to explain in his application how the discrimination impacted him. And how many applications have you received so far? Yeah, oh, oh, across the country, there have been uh, well over 10,000 applications that have been received thus far. I think the last I heard was upwards of twelve to 13,000, and they're coming in boxes in droves today. There are three ways to apply. And I encourage everyone, again, to check out www.22007apply.gov. And then also we think that uh, there are chances for people to go into offices. Now, we had an office in New York for a while and a presence in Liberty uh, in Ithaca. We closed those down to reallocate our our, uh, staff to areas where there is a higher density of applicants. But everyone is eligible to apply online or also you can get free technical assistance, totally free, by calling 1-800-721-0970. We have assistance available in English and Spanish every day from 8 a.m. Eastern till 11 p.m. Eastern. And there are um, help assistants who will help you walk through the application, all of its steps, at one 800 721 Again, that help is available in English and Spanish seven days a week. Uh, those are the best ways to apply now that we're coming down into the last final days. An application can be mailed in, or it's often easier. Uh, we recommend that people apply online, and they can track the status of their application. If you're just joining us, we're talking to Miles Caggins, the Chief Media Relations uh, Officer for the Windsor Group, who uh, was hired by the USDA to help run the Discrimination Financial Assistance Program. Do you still have a session coming up on Thursday at 11 at the Ellaville Public Library for folks? That's right. We have mobile outreach teams, and they'll be coming out to the Ellenville Library, and these teams are, are trying to uh, get the word spread out. We have In the last few days, we have uh, more than... Uh, 300 events across the United States. Some of those events are online, but we are, we have town hall meetups in Maine and uh, reaching out to churches in South Florida. It's really amazing what's coming together in these final days as we want to make sure everyone hits that January 13th deadline. And, you know, I encourage people, as, as I've been in this role and traveled around the, the uh, eastern United States, I encourage people, if they think they're eligible, go ahead to the website, 22007apply.gov and look under the eligibility and apply anyway. The application process is free. Sure, it'll take a couple hours to to gather the documents, uh, but the payout comes with no strings attached based on the, the calculations and the verification of eligibility. Oh, by the way, the government will check, of course, to verify who you, you say you are and that you own the phone, farm and that you attempted to apply for farm loan programs. But the payout comes with no strings uh, attached to it. So this is an opportunity, if 
anyone thinks that they face discrimination in farm loan programs to get their name in there and wait and see what happens. And what happens after the application is put through? How, when will things be evaluated and when will awards be determined? All applications are evaluated after January 13th. This program is unique in that it's not first come, first serve. Uh, all applications will be evaluated. And then there will be some some calibration of the applications to determine a scoring and payout system. Now, that will be handled by the USDA and a company different than the one that I represent, so I've not seen the formula uh, for it. But what we have encouraged applicants to do is tell their story. Uh, sometimes we've seen applications with with where there's a block in the application that says describe the discrimination. And we've seen people write something as short as, um, loan officer was racist. Well, that's not a full description, and, and it's important for the applicants to fully, fully, fully explain uh, in the best that they can the circumstances of how they face this situation, including statements from neighbor farmers, family members that can help paint that picture. You mentioned when you're speaking to people and also just letting folks know that this is, is legitimate. Have you, have you encountered folks who don't know if this is legitimate or have to, you have to build some trust with some folks? Certainly. And there are predatory attorneys out there. There are some of these attorneys who are telling applicants that they have to uh, essentially sign over their rights and the attorneys claim that they will get them more money. And the attorneys uh, have been predatory, particularly on our older and less literate farmers. And this is unfortunate because the application process is totally free, and the, the government decided that this program should be implemented by by commercial vendors, by government contracting companies like, like Windsor Group. And the reason they did that is because contracting companies are quick at being able to scale up and deploy staff across the nation in this instance, and the USDA was responsible for the discrimination against the farmers. So some of the farmers are reticent to go back to the same group where they experienced discrimination before expecting to receive uh, fair treatment in another application process. So we've had to build trust, and we've built trust by hiring local staff. So oftentimes our offices are staffed by community leaders, uh, agriculture industry representatives uh, throughout the states, and we have them quite frequently located in the same uh, area as cooperative extension offices from uh, funded by the USDA at universities and, and community sites. We've mentioned that there's a history of some discrimination uh, against some farmers by the USDA and that the lawsuits and there have been other programs addressing that discrimination. But it's important to note that folks who may have received money or loan forgiveness as part of one of those programs is also still eligible for this program. You bring up a great point, Tim. Regardless of anyone's um, experience with prior lawsuits, if they've received any payouts uh, or if they have any other um, grievances or lawsuits pending or filed against USDA, this program is distinct. Section 22007 of the um, Inflation Reduction Act set up the Discrimination Financial Assistance Program where it is separate and apart from any other uh, programs that are out there. So a person could have received a settlement before and can still apply for this again. And importantly, it is open to all who face discrimination. And we've had white applicants uh, from Alabama and white applicants from Connecticut who've applied for this program. And there's been some question of, is this only for black people or Hispanic people or Asian people? No, 
there were oftentimes that there was um, uh, white-on-white discrimination or uh, other groups discriminating against other groups for various reasons. Oftentimes you had local farm farm loan officers from USDA who were uh, in cahoots with large landowners. And when it comes to the green, you get all kinds of green money. You get all kinds of different types of, of uh, bad behaviors that come out. So this program is open to everybody, and everybody should apply if they think they're eligible. And as you mentioned before, it's uh, claims that are not just based on racial discrimination, but also gender and veteran status. Uh, let's remind folks right. again about that website and also about the informational session happening locally on Thursday. Yeah, that's right. If you go to the website, and I know you have a wide wide listening area, go to the website, www.22007apply.gov. Again, that's www.2207apply.gov. You can go there and find out information about the program. You can apply online. The website is available in English and Spanish, as is our free uh, helpline at 1-800-721-0970. If you go to the website, it's very simple, and click on over to News and Information, you can find, uh, find information about where there are upcoming events. You will be able to see newsletters of, of past events, and I encourage everyone to go there because you're going to get the gospel from the website, and you can, of course, share it with your friends. We also have a presence on social media, on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you look at at 22007apply, you'll find out of our latest events, any changes that are related to weather uh, or anything else there. So I, I suggest, as we only have four days left in this program with a very hard deadline of Janu- January 13th, that listeners go to the website and call the uh, phone line to get information. And on the phone line, you'll be directed to events in your area. Again, that deadline is Saturday, the 13th, the deadline to apply for the Discrimination Financial Assistance Program. We've been speaking to Miles Kaggins, Chief of Media Relations for the Windsor Group, which was hired by the USDA to help run this program. Uh, Mr. Kaggins, thank you so much for bringing this uh, information to listeners. Well, it's a great way to start the new year, getting information out about this program, and thanks for having me. And that website again is 22007apply.gov. That's it for the local edition.